Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. If you like baseball and major league sports, then holy cow, is this the episode for you, my friends? But before I introduce you to my next guest, Eve Rosenbaum, and let her share her story, if you haven't already signed up for the Java Junkies Journal, that's our weekly newsletter that gives you a sneak peek at the episodes we're going to be dropping that week and the professionals that we're going to be speaking with, please head over right now to the T4C website. That address is time, the number four, coffee.org and sign up. And while you're there, you may want to check out the homepage of T4C, which organizes all of our podcast episodes by career, as well as by health, wellness, and self-care. So you can just click on the category of the profession or the topic that you're most interested in and find the relevant episode for you. Now grab your mug and take a chug because it is time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Eve Rosenbaum, who has a job that I think a lot of young Java junkies dreamed about when they were kids. That's because Eve works in Major League Baseball and is the manager of international scouting for the 2017 World Series champions, the Houston Astros. Eve, can you hear it? The crowd is going wild. Eve has been with the Astros since January of 2015. So she is coming up on four years with the Astros. And before that, she worked in the National Football League in its business intelligence and optimization unit. And I really can't wait to hear more about all of this. Eve, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? You know, I haven't had my coffee yet today because I realized I ran out of filters, but most days the answer to that question would be yes. I know. And as we discussed in our espresso shots, you get to travel to a lot of these awesome coffee producing countries. So I know that you are a fan of the Java. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Eve, you are the manager of international scouting for the World Series champions, Houston Astros. What the heck is that job like? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. That's a good place to start. So in my job as the manager of international scouting, I have three primary roles. One is that I go and scout players in person and I write scouting reports myself. So in the international world, there's a few countries that produce most of the baseball players. And that's mostly the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, and Cuba. And then after that, there's some other countries that are less well-known for baseball, but there we still scout there. So that includes Colombia, Panama, Mexico, even Nicaragua can have some players. So I mostly travel to the Dominican Republic and then Colombia. I go to Colombia because Venezuela is actually in a very dangerous situation right now and Americans have trouble getting in. So what's happening is the Venezuelan players are traveling to Colombia and working out there. So I mostly go to the Dominican Republic and Colombia and I go watch 13, 14, 15 year olds play baseball and decide which ones I want to sign to get into the Astros organization. And then these players sign when they turn 16 years old. That's 
why we scout them so young because they sign professional contracts when they turn 16. So that's the first part of my job is traveling, scouting, watching players and writing reports. The second part of my job is reading the reports that our area scouts put in and then watching a lot of video that these scouts send to me. So we've got about 15 scouts who work for us all over the world. And unlike me, they actually live in the countries where these players are. So they get to go see them every single day and they get to follow the players around. And so they are constantly writing reports and sending in video and sending me information about the players. So I do sort of some cyber scouting where I'm sitting at my desk in Houston and I'm talking to these scouts and reading their reports. I'm watching their video and I'm forming opinions about the players, even though I haven't seen them in person. And the third part of my job is the managerial part. So that's overseeing the day-to-day of my department. So that's everything from coming up with our signing strategy. So figuring out what type of players we want to target and sign to what happens if we make an offer to this player and he doesn't accept. Do we come up with a counteroffer? How do we deal with his agents? Once he does agree with us, what type of training program do we put him on to doing our budget? So right now we're in our budgeting season for next year. So I'm looking ahead to figure figure out how much each scout should be traveling and what supplies, how many bats, how many balls we're going to need and coming up with that budget and submitting it to our finance department. So those are the three things, three areas that I work on as the manager of international scouting. So how did you get trained up to be able to do this, Eve? Is this something that you learned on the job? Or is it something that you had to at least know some of it before you started working? And I know that you've been with the Astros for four years. Yeah, it's definitely a mix. So I've been a baseball person my entire life. I grew up playing baseball. I switched to play softball when I was in high school and I played collegiate softball. So I've always been around the game. and That's very useful for understanding the basics of the rules and mechanics and how hard it is for players to improve certain things versus other things that's more difficult to change. But then I've also learned a ton of it on the job. So I've learned a lot from working with other people in my department who are experts in specific areas. So experts on pitch development or experts on swing mechanics and just working with them. And I think you really have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to learn a lot on the job and to ask questions and then to do a lot of research and digging on your own. Because there's a ton of resources online for figuring out how to break down a swing, how to break down pitcher mechanics, how to interpret statistics. And you just have to be willing to put in the time to learn all that. So that's definitely what I've done. So I came into it with a base knowledge and I knew about international scouting and the international rules before I came into this. But then once I got into the industry, I just put my nose to the books, learned all the rules and how to have continual conversations with other people in my department so I can learn you know, how to better evaluate baseball players every single day. So you mentioned the travel piece. Can you take us into kind of a typical day for you when you're on the road and then maybe a typical day when you're back in Houston in the office? Yes. So my days definitely differ whether or not I'm on the road or whether I'm in the office. So if I'm on the road, I'm staying at a hotel. I'm probably waking up at 6.30, having breakfast at the hotel, getting to the field by 8 a.m. Because in a lot of these places, it's very hot. So the days start very early. Then I'll be watching a workout or game. So a workout consists of batting practice. It consists of players taking infield, outfield practice. And then the games are your typical 
what you would think of of like a high school game. It's probably a doubleheader, probably seven innings each. I'm grabbing some lunch at a fast food spot. You know, no matter where I am in the world, I'm probably getting some fried chicken or some Subway. That's what's quick. Watching some more games. And then I get back to the hotel probably around 5 p.m. or or later. And then once I get back to the hotel, I try to relax for a little bit. But then I like to look back at my notes, start putting in some scouting reports. I do have to keep up with my email when I'm on the road. So I will have to turn on my computer and start working when I'm back at the hotel room. And then I'm exhausted by the end of the day and I have to turn around and do it again the next day. Oh my gosh. I I want to ask you, actually, I know that I I gave you a two-part question, but I want to jump in. Because I do want to ask you about when you're watching the players there. And of course, the book and the movie Moneyball is in the back of my head. How much Mm -hmm. of the industry is now scientific, if you will, as opposed to the intangibles when you're looking at a young person and picking up on sort of their personality and the energy that they put out. Like, can you break it down for us a little bit? Yeah. So definitely a lot of the industry has become more scientific and more quantitative. And the Astros were known as one of the teams leading the fields with more revolutionary ways to evaluate players. But that mostly applies when you have large sample sizes and you have large populations that you can deal with. So for example, when you're evaluating Major League Baseball players, there's 162 games a year, batters are getting three at-bats a game. There's a huge sample size. And so there's a lot of numbers to really dig into. But in my world, in international scouting, you're dealing with 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds. And it's really hard to project. Project is the word that we use. When you're looking at a 16 year old, you're trying to project how he's going to develop and how he's going to play professionally in the minors. And then eventually, will he be a successful major league player? So part of my job is figuring out variables that we can measure. And then over time, collect enough of and be able to put more science to the job of signing internationals, international players. But it's really hard with 14, 15, 16 year olds. You know, these kids are still developing physically. They're still developing mentally. So it's a conversation that we have every single day is, you know, what can we measure? Okay, we measured this. Do we think this player can improve? And then we have to look at other things, his personality, how he interacts with our coaches, how he interacts with other players and figure out if this is someone who's going to be coachable and like our system and like what we teach or if not. So every single day we're figuring out what can be measured, what can be quantified versus what can't. And then even when we can quantify things, because these players are 16 and they might not reach the majors until they're at least 20 years old, there's a lot of lag time to get feedback to figure out if what you're measuring is predictive or not. So that's definitely something that I work on every single day is trying to find that balance between what we can measure and then just seeing the player and getting a feel for how he handles situations, how he deals with pressure in the box, how he deals with striking out. Because there will be times if, if a player strikes out when he's 16 and he gets really frustrated and he's breaking his bat, you have to ask yourself, okay, he's going to face a lot more adversity once he becomes a professional. So how is he going to deal with that? Yeah. And you mentioned the scouting reports that you're writing. What do they look like? 
Yeah, so we've gone through a few different iterations of scouting reports, and I think each team has different reports. But the gist of it is essentially the same, where you write a little summary of the player, which is just text. It's your thoughts. And then scouting is traditionally done on a 20 to 80 scale, where 50 is major league average. So if you look at someone's arm and you say he has a 50 arm, that means that his arm strength is major league average. So he could slot right into a major league team. And then 20 is the very bottom of the scale. 80 is the very, very top of the scale. And then you know, everything in between, there's you know, 40, 60. That's where a lot of the grades fall. So between below average, average to above average. So scouting reports will have questions about a player's present grades and a player's future grades. So what is this player's power you know, presently? And then what do you think his power is going to be in the future? How does this player hit for average? So that's you know, making contact, hitting singles, not necessarily hitting home runs, but hitting for average. Now, how, how well does he do that now? And how well will he do that in the future? And then there's questions about the player's makeup, question about the player's athleticism. You know, will this player be able to improve this in the future? Why or why not? So it's, it's a lot of questions that we ask our scouts to really dig into and give us a combination of grades and then just freeform text. Mm. It sounds like there's a fair amount of math involved in being a good scout. Would you say that math is something that you have always been good at? It's a, a combination of how important math is to being a good scout. So definitely within baseball operations departments, so the front office, quantitative skills are becoming very highly valued. If you're just a traditional field scout, someone who's out in the field watching the players, math is less important for your day to day. But what my job is, is marrying those two. So I'm by no means a math expert, but math was always my best subject in high school. You know, up until I got into college, I was taking a lot of very rigorous math classes when I switched to study psychology, which was my major in college that didn't require as much math. But you know, these days, I work with a lot of people who are very good at statistics, very good quantitatively, very good at building models and projection systems. That's not what I do on a day-to-day basis, but I have enough of an analytical background to do a little bit of it myself and then to work with them and to understand what they're doing and be able to give them feedback based on what I see happening in my specific industry in, in international scouting to work with the people who are better at math. So definitely... I'm an analytical person. I think it's important for any job, but I'm not sitting there with a statistics degree or a computer science degree doing that work every single day. Fair enough. So Eve, I interrupted you in the middle of your responding to my two-part question. What is it then that you're doing when you're back in Houston? Sure. So when I'm in Houston, I'm writing a lot of my reports, you know, looking at the notes that I've taken on the road and putting that into reports. And then I'm reading the reports that other people have written and watching their video. And I'm calling scouts and asking them questions. Hey, what do you think about this player? Hey, when can you see this guy again? How did this guy perform against live pitching? And then I'm also in meetings with other people in my department, so figuring out what we want to measure, you know, what's a new test we want to put players through? Do we want players to, you know, sprint once or we want them to sprint twice? Okay, we have this, you know, new opinion about, you know, 
pitchers that we like. Okay, how can we get that into the scouting reports? I've talked with our coaches to get their feedback on players who we've signed in the past. So hopefully that can help me sign better players in the future. So when I'm in the office in Houston, it's a lot of sitting at my desk, writing, reading reports, and then also talking to other people in my department so I can learn more from these other people who I work with. Gotcha. One of the things that you list in your resume in your previous job when you were the coordinator of international baseball operations is that Houston ranks second out of 30 clubs in percentage of international players promoted to the U.S. minor league teams. That sounds really good. How hard (laughs) is it to have that kind of a, a record? You know what? I haven't looked at those numbers recently, so I'm not sure if that's up to date or not. But definitely a big thing that happens in international scouting is that you sign a ton of players and these players start off playing in the Dominican Summer League, which is the first level of the minor leagues. And it's a minor league that takes place on the Dominican Republic. And a lot of players are never good enough to get off the island. So they'll spend a couple of years playing in the Dominican and then they'll just get cut. Because in order to get promoted to play in the United States, you have to be able to compete with the players who sign in the draft. So who sign out of high school and who sign out of college. And those players are older. They're, you know, high schoolers are signing when they're 18. College players are generally 20. So when you're playing in the Dominican, you're 17. So you have to be able to compete with players who are a little bit more polished and a little bit more known quantity because they've already been in the United States. So I would say, I don't know if that stat is accurate, but I'm definitely very proud of the players we've signed and then also our coaching staff being able to develop players and then be able to promote them and trust that they will succeed once they get to the United States. Have you had any of the players that you've scouted make it onto the Astros? Yes, I've had one main player. He's a pitcher from Cuba. He's a left-hander. His name is CNL Perez. He just got called up to the big leagues a few months ago, and he's been going back and forth between AAA, which is the highest level of the minors, and the Astros, which is our major league squad. And he's the first player who I really was a part of the day-to-day scouting and a part of the big decision-making process. He's the first one to make it to the major leagues. That's, That's a very cool feeling. I remember when he got called up and getting to watch him pitch for the first time. It's a very, very cool feeling. It's, you know, hey, I put my name down for this player. I said I wanted to sign him. I said I thought he would be a big leaguer. And then, you know, look at this two years later. Turns out I was right. It's a very rewarding feeling. Wow. And what about the feeling of being a part of a club that is not only the 2017 World Series champions, but also right now number one in the AL West. Yeah. Last year when we had our run to the playoffs and then we eventually won the World Series, there was nothing that I was doing on a day-to-day basis to influence the outcomes of those games. But it was still, it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. And when I was in college and I played softball, my college softball team, we played in our Ivy League championship three years in a row. We won it two years in a row. And that was an incredible feeling because I was on the field and I was winning our league, which you know was the Ivy League. It wasn't the college world series but still it was an accomplishment it was my team and we were the best in our league but then this feeling of being on a world series winning team it really i don't even know how to describe it it was unlike anything i'd ever experienced where you know this is 
my dream. This is the dream of so many people and I'm getting to live it. It's, it's just truly incredible, rewarding feeling to know that you're part of a team that's the best. And then also to see the way that the community reacts where everyone's wearing Astros hats. People are asking me for tickets. All the bars are showing the games. Like that's the thing about sports that it can be hard to forget sometimes. Like sports is a competition, but it's also something that brings people together and it brings communities together and it can make people so excited and so happy when your team does well. So has that increased the pressure? Do you feel like, is it almost, would it have been easier if you were still like underdogs now that you guys are the, you know, the big dog? How has that changed things psychologically for you and your colleagues who work in the clubhouse? (laughs) That's a good question. I think we definitely put pressure on ourselves to say, hey, okay, we did this once, but we want to do it again. We want to prove that this wasn't just a fluke. You know, we want to repeat. And so again, I'm not dealing with the major league players on a day-to-day basis, but in terms of scouting, it's okay, you know, we're the best. We're the industry leaders right now. We need to sign good players. We need to continue to have a pipeline of young players coming up to make this major league team good over the next several years. So there's definitely pressure that we put on ourselves to continue to be the best. I'm sure. Now, Eve, you've already alluded to your time as an undergrad. You went to Harvard. You were a psychology major with philosophy as your minor. I guess you call it a secondary field. Did you know what you were going to do with those degrees when you graduated? I didn't know specifically what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to get into sports and ideally into baseball because that's the sport that I played and I grew up loving. But definitely I had some internships in college in baseball that sort of pointed me in the right direction. So I knew I wanted to be in sports, but I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do. So talk about some of those internships, the extracurriculars. I don't know if there were any other clubs that you were involved in that you, in hindsight, now see actually that really was helpful in helping me to plant the seeds that positioned me as a strong candidate to break into this field. Yeah. So I played softball, which was a huge help. I was also involved in the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, which was a bunch of students at school, student athletes who we would meet, I think it was every other week, to give feedback to our athletic department and feedback to the NCAA. And then I also helped our softball team organize some community service events. So I think, you know, being an athlete, but then also being involved in my community helped me get a summer internship with the Boston Red Sox for one summer when I was at school. And then at that internship, I was doing more business operations. It was nothing like what I do now on the baseball side. It was business operations, but that got my foot in the door. Once I had my foot in the door, I said, okay, I'm going to hit this out of the park. I'm going to be a really good intern. And I was, and my boss liked me and they had me back throughout the school year to help with various projects. And then that in turn helps me then get an internship with MLB with the commissioner's office. And that was in baseball operations, which is what I do now. And then after college, I went to work at the NFL, which was a great job. And I I loved it. And it was they had a great program, the junior rotational program that I got to do, which was a two year program where you spend six months working in different departments. And that was perfect for me because I knew I wanted to be in sports, but I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do. And then after I've been at the NFL for a couple of years, one of the guys who I had worked with at Major League Baseball when I was 
an intern just called me up one day and said, Hey, I work for the Astros now. I remember that you were a really good worker and you loved baseball and I'm looking to hire someone. Do you have an interest in coming to work for me? And that's how I got here to the Astros. So definitely it was, you know, I laid the groundwork by being an athlete and being involved in my athletic community. And then once I got an internship, I got my foot in the door. I just worked super hard every single day to make sure that I was the best and that I was valued. And so far that's worked out well for me. So what did that look like, Eve, when you were an intern? When you say you worked super hard, what were you doing? Like what kind of hours were you putting in and what were you doing on the job to make sure that your supervisor and that your colleagues recognized that you were someone who was willing to do whatever it took? Yeah, so I have to think back to however many years ago this was. But I remember, you know, I'd get in at nine in the morning when most jobs start and then stay until the very end of the game. And so those were Red Sox games over the summer. They're going to 10, 11 p.m. So that's a long day at the ballpark. But I was doing that whenever there was a home game. When there wasn't a home game, I was still you know, coming in at the normal time and probably leaving around 6 or 7 p.m. I never left right at 5. But as an intern, they want to make sure you don't work too much because you are just a summer intern. So I think I was probably leaving around 6 or 7. And I was given a main project to work with the public transportation company in Boston to try and come up with some better ways to advertise options for getting to the game. And I just remember learning everything I possibly could about it. I walked around to local businesses to ask for their opinions. I was drawing maps of parking lots that were available around the ballpark. And I put together a presentation for my boss and he loved it. And he eventually let me lead the meeting with the public transportation company that came in. So it was a lot of just working really hard and putting my mind to tasks and getting the trust from my boss to lead meetings. So that, mm. there was that. And then also we had a ticket selling contest. And I remember I won that. And that's a big thing in sports. A lot of people start off selling tickets. That's how you get fans into the stadium. And so I think winning that ticket selling contest was an indication of people that I was a hard worker and I was going to do whatever it took to be successful at this internship. Yeah, I'm looking at your resume right here. And it says that you partnered with Latino community leaders and organizations to win that. Yeah, it was I was really just going through my network, finding people who might be helpful. And I found some people we were selling tickets to a soccer game, actually, that was happening at Fenway Park, not even a baseball game. But I found some people who had some good connections. And I remember getting in the car with them and driving on weekends and going out to communities and going to community centers and talking to people and telling them about this game and selling tickets to them in person. It was very old school. And I think, you know, the fact that I was willing to do that on my summer vacation stood out. Eve, something I haven't asked you, but I would be remiss if I didn't, is your gender and how common it is now that there are young women who are in the major leagues, in the line of work that you're doing. Is it becoming more common now? I think it's coming slightly more common, but specifically what I do in scouting where I'm out on the road, I'm generally the only woman who's there. There are a few teams who have hired some women like me to scout in the United States, but when I'm scouting internationally, 
I'm pretty sure I'm the only woman uh, who I've ever seen there. There are more women getting hired in front office roles. So people who are working in the office, not necessarily traveling the scout like I do. But I think there's tons of opportunity for women to get involved in scouting. And I was a softball player and I always talk to my teammates and say, hey, if you want to do this, you can do this. You have the same skill set that I do. So I feel like every single day when I do my job, I want to be good at it so that I can pave the way for young girls who are out there right now to be able to scout the way that I scout. Are there any downsides to being the only woman who's then on the field watching a bunch of young boys, young men playing baseball, surrounded only by other men? Or do you find that it's really a non-factor? So the things I can think of would be at some of these ballparks where I go to, the restroom facilities aren't that great. So that can be a little bit of a pain. Then also traveling to some of these foreign countries and having to take taxis and Ubers by myself can be you know a little, you have to be cautious for sure. Uh, but I, also, I lived in New York for two years, so I've got a little bit of, of an edge for things <laughs> like that. But you, you definitely have to be careful. But besides that, the men who I work with, they're great. They're great great coworkers, great colleagues. I have a ton of respect for them. They have a ton of respect for me. I've gotten to know a lot of the men who work for other teams and I'm always very friendly with them when I see them out at the field. And I really have no no complaints about it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. Eve, one of the questions that I try to ask all my guests on Time for Coffee is to share a story with our community about a time in your professional life when you may have struggled. It may have been that you had a challenging supervisor, boss, or colleagues, or maybe you were in over your head, which my goodness, that happens all the time and just had to like really power through to make it out of and to the other side of that challenging experience. Have you had anything like that happen? Yeah. Definitely. I've had tons of challenging experiences. And in my current job, every time I sign a player, if he then doesn't perform well, that that every single time that's a challenging experience. So I deal with that on a day-to-day basis. You know, specifically looking back at my career, when I was at the NFL, I was working on our NFL mobile application. So that's the iPhone and Android app. And I was working to recode it so that we could measure what users were doing in the app. So it was a lot of tracking that we were doing. And I didn't study that in school. I was not a computer engineer, but that was the job that was assigned to me. And I actually found it very interesting. And I had to teach myself. I didn't teach myself necessarily to code, but I had to teach myself. It's called Omniture, which is the it's the codes, the variables that go into an app or to a website. That's the software that measures what users are doing. So I had to teach myself a little bit of that code. I had to teach myself how to interpret the data. And then I had to work with our developers who were actually coding the app. And a lot of them were based in India. So I was living in New York City and they were based in India. So the time difference was maybe 14 hours. And so we had a summer when we had to get this app recoded and sent to market. And I remember flipping my schedule 
to work basically overnight so that I would be awake when the developers in India were awake. You know, fortunately in New York City, that's something you can do because there's food 24 hours a day. And if you're waking up at 11 a.m., there's other people who are waking up at 11 a.m. New York City is a great place to have a flipped schedule. But, you know, I remember doing that. There were tons of late nights. There was a ton of pressure to get this thing done. But it ended up paying off because I think that it was something that helped me get the job that I'm in now, where when I was interviewing for this, I said, hey, I'm willing to flip my schedule and you know totally blow off my fun summer times to work with people on Skype in India to get a product done and just and to teach myself an entirely new skill set in a couple months so that we can get this product to market. And that's it's sort of analogous to what I do now where I'm working with people in other countries. There's language barriers, there's cultural barriers, there's constant new skills to learn. But I think the fact that I did that and I flipped my schedule helped get me to where I am now. Wow. And you made that decision yourself. Nobody asked you to do that. I think I remember my boss had asked me to work some set of hours. And I said, Hey, you know what? I think it'd be better for me if I just flipped my schedule. So I remember getting, you know, I would go into the office maybe around like noon or one. I'd leave the office at 10. I would get home and I would stay up until like two, three, four in the morning, go to sleep, wake up and go to the gym. You know, like I said, like around 10 or 11 a.m. So my boss had come up with the idea of a weird schedule and I just took it to an extreme. And so I was the one who decided to sacrifice my ability to travel on the weekends, my ability to meet up with friends for happy hours. But it was all temporary. It was all temporary sacrifices. How long did that last even? What did you have any like health issues as a result of that? <laughs> I don't think so. I was young. I'm still young, but I think I was you know, like 23, 24. So it's a time where your body can handle it. I think I remember doing that for a summer. So for a few months, but then in general, when I was working at the NFL, I was sort of by coastal between New York and LA where there's a three hour time difference. So I found myself working odd hours all the time. But again, when you're young, that's the type of thing that you can do. And it was it was a ton of fun. I got to travel back and forth between New York and LA. If I was tired sometimes, I was tired sometimes. Yeah. Wow. That's really impressive. So Final time for coffee question here, Eve. You graduated from Harvard in May of 2012, so Mm -hmm. almost six and a half years ago. If you could go back to college and do it all over again, based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to pay attention in Spanish class (laughs) because Spanish is obviously a huge part of what I do now. And if I, I remember being in high school and being in college and thinking like, oh, Spanish isn't part of my major. I just need to take a few classes to get the requirements out of the way. Now, looking back, and I'm trying to learn Spanish as an adult after school. I really, really wish that I had paid attention in class. I have a solid foundation, but if I had been able to get fluent while I was in college, that would have hugely helped. And honestly, I think these days it's important, not just in baseball, but I think any career being bilingual is a huge thing that employers will look for. So there's that, you know, I wish I had paid more attention in Spanish. There's some parts of me that wish I had taken more quantitative classes, you know, that I had learned Excel earlier, that I'd taken some more statistics classes in, in high school and in college. But overall, you know, I studied psychology and I studied philosophy and I loved it. And my opinion is that you only get four years to really intellectually engage with a topic. So make it something that 
you love. So I have the rest of my life to learn about baseball. I have the rest of my life to take classes online, to get better at statistics, to get better at computer programming, to get better at database querying, you know, to get better at Excel. But I only had those four years to study psychology and philosophy with incredibly smart students and professors. So that that's what I would tell myself, you know, study Spanish, take some more quantitative classes, be prepared to do a lot of learning after college. But at the end of the day, study what you love. Amazing advice. Amazing advice, Eve. And you are an amazing young woman. And with such a fascinating job, I really enjoyed talking with you and personally learning much more about the industry and about what's required. And just thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today, Eve. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice talking with you. And I hope to get some people into the baseball world after this interview. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.